and text this morning regarding the destiny, the eternal destiny of all mankind. It should be of vital interest to every soul. Uh, this is one of the more graver uh, places in Scripture. Uh, Jesus is concluding his earthly ministry. And uh, for the most part, uh, although there was a great amount of interest in the Lord Jesus and in the, the announcement of John the Baptist uh, there in the wilderness, uh, the leaders of Israel have rejected their Messiah. And in chapter 23, the Lord has already proclaimed his judgment on that nation, saying, Woe. That doesn't have to be our destiny. Salvation is offered in Christ. Messiah saves. We just have to understand his terms, believe them, comply with his leading in our lives. We pray that the Lord make this reading very clear. As the day will come where you will see this event before your eyes, and no man will need to explain it, no man will need to describe it to you. A vast panorama, probably encompassing heaven and all of the earth's horizon, the hosts of angels, and the Lord Jesus seated at his holy throne. Multitudes of souls, all souls that have ever lived before the throne. And it's an awesome, awesome congregation. And this is what we do very, very well to heed the reading and the preaching of this word. Matthew 25, verse 14. I'll read through and preach through verse 30. For it will be like a, a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents at once went, traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had finished, who had the two talents, made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward and said, Master, you delivered to me two talents, and here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been a faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter any seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have 
what is yours? But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at least at my coming I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the, the talent from him. Give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. While flesh is as grass, its beauty is as the flower of the fade. The grass withers, its flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. This is the word that was just read to you. By God's help, by the Lord's Spirit, it will be preached. Please be seated. We read from Matthew 3 at the coming of John. John's description of Jesus as the Lamb takes away the sin of the world. He came preaching a, a baptism of repentance, but he, he described the action of Messiah and his coming as having a winnowing fork in his hand. What does a winnowing fork do? It separates the chaff from the wheat. And that, my friends, is what Jesus has done in the days of his flesh because of the religion of the, of the Jews of his day had corrupted much of the pure religion of, the, of Jehovah God. They had departed from scriptures significantly so that neither did they understand law. By the way, the Pharisees never loved law. They hated law. And that's why they had traditions that they encrusted above law so that they made sure that the, their, their law, the law of God, was buried, well buried, and obscure so that their hearts would not be convicted, so they might not realize their dearth of righteousness. But their boast was in their own righteousness because they did not understand the law. And because they did not understand the law, the law never served them to drive them to Christ. And so they, they had no need for this deliverance that Jesus was preaching. They had no, no need for Messiah as the Lamb of God. And so it was a total abdication of both law and gospel, which means they had a total abdication of the Bible, because that's what the Bible is, law and gospel. That's all we got. God commands us to believe and to do this. God gives us promises in the Lord Jesus, everywhere pictured in all throughout the Bible. Jesus is everywhere in this Bible, and his righteousness is declared to us in practically every verse of Scripture. The nation having rejected the Messiah, Jesus uh, is now very well aware of the, re the repercussions of that. He knows he's going to the cross. He's begun to teach that to his disciples. He says he's going to come back. He's going to renew all things, and it is coming, the age of the world, and perhaps, as I preached it already, the age of the Jews was coming to an end by judgment. Already, and that's a uh, mostly chapter 24, the second coming, and uh, the attendant circumstances of that, of his second coming. Matthew 25, we dip into more in terms of uh, the actual judgment of God. The ten versions that we preached last week, of course, did address his second coming. But the readiness for his judgment, the readiness to be received by God, was the main uh, focus of that parable of the ten virgins. 
And we see there that uh, the essential thing was that the, the virgins be aware, that they be watchful, that they be attendant. And uh, the ones that were attendant were very much uh, aware that they needed oil. They needed the anointing. They needed the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key to all receiving all of the benefits of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of his salvation. The visible church has wise virgins in it, anointed not merely with the baptism of water, but truly anointed with the, the things signed in the water, the Holy Spirit himself. And these await the coming of the Lord Jesus in true faith and repentance, with diligence, teaching their children, applying the teaching of the church of Christ in their own souls, and seeking God in the sacraments and in the preached word and, and, the, and in the fellowship of the saints. That is a diligent, we must give diligence to this as five wise virgins. The foolish were, they were sleeping. They ran out, even of that operation of the Holy Spirit that was not in them, but upon them. And so they lacked watchfulness and they did not endure until the coming of the Son of Man. Watchfulness was last week's sermon. This Sermon is about diligence, about serving the Lord in his kingdom, about acknowledging him as Lord over all, and we as not only stewards, but as servants. The talents is about gifts of God, and not, not just immediately the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'll explain that in a minute. The, all of the, what God gives us as talents, being used as good stewards, being active and not just in, I'm not saying just be active in every church activity, join the softball league and set out the flowers. Those are very nice things to have in a church. But that's not the diligence that God calls us. The good works are those good works that are declared to be good in the word of God. And that are pleasing and advance the kingdom in every way. And so every intent of your heart, as a steward, you want, the, you want everything that you do and say, whether you eat, drink, whatsoever you do, you do it in the name of the Lord for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. That's kingdom living. The teaching here is this, that all you that you have, all that you have, not, not, merely, not merely your spiritual gifts in the Holy Spirit, but all that you have in life is from God. And all that you have in life and all that is set before you day by day is to be used by you as God's steward and for his glory. That's not saying that you're not going to take pleasure in things as you use them, sure. But your heart and receiving these things pleasurably and sensually will give, great, uh, will give glory to him and thankfulness and, uh, and, and, and use that for his own to express the goodness of God. All that you have is from God to so be used by you, by you as a steward. And those who serve God diligently will be acknowledged. They will be acquitted before his judgment uh, was thrown and will be abundantly rewarded on the day of judgment. Those who do not serve God but are self-seeking, self-indulgent, lazy, uh, these will be eternally condemned and these will be punished starting on the day of judgment. And that's our teaching. It's a long one. You can borrow my sermon outline later for the details. I've got to, what, five points here, so I'm going to race through this. 
Number one, all professing Christians have something from the Lord. This is what we mean by a talent. Every profession, every professing Christian must, must be aware that they have received from God. And furthermore, every profession Christian knows that they are the servant of God. God has freed us from the service, the service of sin to be servants of righteousness. We were, fir- we were first slaves of sin. We were slaves to sin. Now Paul uses the same word in the, in the Greek, doulos, that describes our service to God. Doulos, we, are, we are, 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 are slaves to righteousness. Strong term. All professing Christians are then entrusted with talents. Anything then whereby we may give God glory is a talent. We, when we talk about talent and we see a, a man playing a, a, a guitar or say he's a, he's a, he's a pianist, he's a, well, that man is talented. We see him painting a canvas or she's or a young lady singing beautifully. Well, she's so talented, her voice. Look at, yeah, but it goes far more. We need to stretch out what that means. We need to really uh, open up the meaning of, of this word or we were going to fail the main teaching of this parable. Anything whereby we may glorify God that is set before us in our life is a talent. Gifts. But how about influence? Your networks, your friends, our gifts, money, knowledge. Some of us have a lot of academics in our own libraries and in our own heads. Your health. My mother said the greatest, the greatest thing one could enjoy in your life is good health. She hardly ever had years of good health. My poor mother. Health is a gift and a talent. Strength. You're going to have health, but you can be weak. You can be strong and not, and not have good health. But strength is another matter. Time. When you're, when you're young, you have great years. Hopefully, hopefully you have many years ahead of us. Those years can't be bought for anything. God gives you time. And he gives you time in your schedule. You have a, a, a time in your day for work. You have a time in your, in your day for leisure, for meals, maybe for exercise. Time is a precious commodity and a talent and is given you. Your senses, you're able to, to, to see, which is, a, which is a miracle gift in many, many ways. Um, reason. Intellect. Memory. We're relying more and more about machines and their cash systems to, uh, to collect data for ourselves. But my friends, the human memory is capable of vast, vast amounts of, 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 of data storage. Your affections, whether they be mild or strong, whether they be lovely and pure, those things that your heart are drawn to, they, 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 they will affect your will, and your will is also a talent. Some of us are strong-willed. Some of us are not so strong-willed. All of your possessions. Well, you know, I mean, if I were to list on and on, I, I would involve myself in an encyclopedia, you know, like Voltaire wanted to put an encyclopedia, all the knowledge of the world. We need to stop somewhere. All things come to us from God. They come to us from God, not nearly willy, but willed, precisely measured, tailored for this person, according to his ability, according to you as a vessel in his house. These are then properly God's gifts. You are his steward, you are using his property. You are his property. You are a debtor to God to use these gifts as he's given us. Cheerfully, joyfully, freely, 
but as a steward in his house. And so, my friends, the first thing we have to do is take stock. What is our inventory of talent? Take time. Ask your, your, your best friend, ask your spouse, children, ask your parents, what, what talents do I have that I might serve the Lord? How may I serve the Lord better in my house? How in my classroom? How in my profession? And then be thankful because you are made in God's image. You are not a frog. You're not a toad. This image of God is not something that nature can develop of itself in a petri dish. This is God's doing. And he has given you dignity as this creature and great stature in his kingdom. You really should thank God that he has given you such amazing gifts. And really contentedness should, should address and adorn your prayers as well. You know, a malcontented Christian is an oxymoron. Christians that come to church with long faces and crossed brows, have they not taken stock of who they are in Christ, sons of God, heirs of salvation, crowned already, overcome the world, more than conquerors, loved and beloved by God, and something nasty happens to them, maybe, I don't know, somebody's, I won't say it. I won't, every time I go extemporary, I say something really bad. But something bad happens in church, and they, that's it. They fold. Contentment. A contented Christian can take a lot of abuse. A contented Christian has overcome the world. All professing Christians then have received talents. Be ye glad. Second point. Many misuse. Many abuse the talents that they have received. How? They hide them. That's what's going on here in this parable. They're afraid to use them. They're not friends with God. They don't know him as a father. They don't know him as someone who has entrusted to them things as a son, valuable things. They misjudge his intentions, God's own intentions. And this, my friends, is the greatest part of mankind. The greatest part of humanity in all world history has misunderstood their relationship to God as a creature. And I'm afraid that some in the church may not understand this. I'm talking about the visible church. Examples of misuse and abuse of burying the talent. How are we burying the talent? Well, first of all, the most the, the most the most precious thing that's given to us is the Lord Jesus, his name, his person. We don't draw nigh to God. We don't draw nigh to the Lord. We scarcely can take in his word. We despise prophecy. That is to say, we despise preaching when it addresses our faults. We neglect scripture study. Somebody has to give us, uh, give, give us a summary, give us, the, give us the bottom line here, make it easy. Give us smooth things. To think. Give it, tell us the benefits. Don't, don't, this word duty, aside from being four letters, I don't even think it's a Christian thing. Neglect of the privileges of prayer, a privilege of prayer, coming before the God 
of heaven and earth, who holds all things, the furthest galaxies. And if there are black holes, he's the one who set them up, whatever those things are. Far reaches of space. The smallest microbes are at his command. The depths of the sea. This is a mighty, mighty king. And he is majestic. And all nations owe him reverence and obedience and great glory. And we don't come to him in prayer. You go ahead and call a prayer meeting see how many people come. I'll call for a barbecue see how many people come. Go ahead. Prayer meeting, three or four. Barbecue, 34. Sabbath breaking. The day of the Lord is, is a gift. The Lord says, here I am all day long. I'm yours. My calendar's clear. All day. Meet with your people. Say, okay, thanks. Neglecting corporate worship. Now, I'll get there a couple times a month. Especially the sacraments, which are gifts, signs, signet rings of the most majestic king the world has ever seen, ever will see. Pleasure-seeking, self-seeking, money-loving, self-indulgence, overeating, under-exercising, enemies of the cross, you mentioned denying self. And the pews look more brown. Living for self-glory, not for God's glory. Not mortifying sin. Loving ease. Instituting comfort in the church. Now, I can't go to that church. It doesn't have a parking lot. I'm not going to walk 50 feet in the sun. All the rage is retirement. People can't wait to sit around and do nothing. Work hard, invest, and then... You know what the scripture says in 1 Timothy 5, right? She who is truly a widow, she's alone, she's got her inheritance, she's left all alone. This widow, if she's a Christian, she set all her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayer day and night. She's needy. The true widow is one who is relying on God and still as she lives is depending on God for life and breath, and that's the way it should be. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Self-indulgent. All she can think about is the next vacation, coming home from vacation. All professing Christians, third point, all professing Christians will give an account of their talents before God at the bar of his judgment. It may be a long time. He's gone off on a journey, says the, the parable. But he'll return. He's, he's already said it several times in Matthew 24. He'll return. That day comes. And at that day, all, all this, te- this preacher included, all must give an accounting of the use of their gifts, of their talents. <sighs> have you taken stock? That's the first step. First step is, what do I have in inventory? Second, how will I apply it? You need wisdom. Ask for wisdom. And, uh, and then in applying them, uh, what's the priority? What, what could be most effective? In this congregation, you may have a different priority than another congregation. We've got boatloads of teachers here. But we need more people to maybe to, to, to mow the lawn or, or to serve in the nursing. Nobody wants to serve in the That's a hard thing. You know why? You saw Zayla, saw Zayla cry here. You know, it's hard work to serve in the nursing, but we need workers. 
Every privilege that the Lord has given you will be accounted for. The question is asked, how did we advance Christ's kingdom? And you're going to be answering the man who's reading your hearts better than you do now. Now on that day, he's going to give you an ability to read your own heart. In fact, he's going to give you the grace to open your mouth and tell all the world, angels and everyone who's ever lived, what it really is. It's like a truth serum. It'll just come out. You've got a recording device in your soul. Every word, every deed, every thought. He's going to give them the truth serum, which is called grace. He's going to open your mouth and everything's going to come out. You're going to be your own accuser. Or your own benefactor by confessing him and what you've done in his case. Every privilege will be accounted for. Did we advance the kingdom? Well, you know, Lord, that I, I, I did even, even in the illness, even when I was tired, even beyond my means as those those poor Christians who, who supplied help to the Jerusalem church, they gave at the request of the apostle, and they gave even more than they really should have because they could be hurting themselves by giving. The conscience knows, and you're blessed when you sacrifice, and you're happy to sacrifice for Jesus. But flesh begrudges the hard taskmaster Christ. They can't stand to hear about sacrifice and serving and the cross. Every help from God will be accounted for. All truths that you have read from Scripture, the light of Scripture, every sermon will be accounted for. Every commandment of the ten and its various branches. Every correction that you've received from an elder or a Sunday school teacher or a friend or your parents. Every Lord's Day. What did you do in this gift? My calendar was open. Every teacher, every minister, and every elder will give account as to whether they administered the whole counsel of God or whether you were holding back. Whether the fear of man kept you from correcting others because, you know, you're going to make some people upset. Do you think that Isaiah, the greatest evangelist of the Old Testament, was welcomed simply because he had the gospel clearer than anybody else? They saw the prophet in two. Why? Because the prophet goes out with law and gospel. And that's not a common thing these days. Don't be, de- don't be beguiled by smooth words, people that only preach benefits to the gospel. The gospel promises remittance of sins and repentance unto life for those that obey the Lord Jesus. That is to say, by, by, by faith. And my friends, to whom much is given, much will be required. And so we, are, we tend to puff ourselves up thinking, well, we're something because we have many, many talents. But my friends, the weight of that should be that you have to take more inventory and take more time and deliberate greater time. How am I going to use this to apply? And for that, you've got friends, you've got counselors, you've got Sunday school teachers, you've got parents. They are to help you to discern, especially in the, in the church, how may I apply how can I help? How can I help my husband? How can I help my wife to be a better Christian, etc.? To whom much is given, much will be uh, required. Noblesse oblige. Tau Beta Pi uh, fraternity for engineers. Faith without works dead. Judge yourself to see if you're in Christ. 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. No, I know I'm in the faith. I, I, I did that when I converted. Examine yourself to be 
whether you're in the faith. The five foolish virgins thought they were in the faith. Test yourselves. Test. Oh, that's for school. This is the school of Christ. Schools are nothing. The church is the ground and pillar of the truth. The church is the light of the world. The pulpit is the prow of the ship. And as we get this right, so the world goes right. We get this wrong, the world is doomed by compromise with Satan and his kingdom. Test yourselves to see if you are in the Lord. Or do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Is the Lord Jesus? He said, if any man obey my commandments, and my Father and I will come to him and we will make residence with you. Are you enjoying communion with the Lord? Do you delight in that? Do you look forward to time in prayer? That's the closest communion. And with others in corporate prayer, that's the strongest. That's the strongest ordinance we have. And in the Lord's Supper, that's, I, I guess that's a form of prayer too. Because he gives himself to us and we give himself, ourselves back to him. In love, faith without works is dead. Are you in Christ? That's why we, when we have the, the Lord's Supper, we always fence the table. We warn people, examine it. Do you have anything? Are you in open sin? Let's repent, even in your heart right now. Do you have anything against your neighbor? Anybody in this church? Are you reconciled? Are you in open and free? And Are you friends with everybody here? Or are you still at war? You can't come to this table if you're at war. Don't, st- don't deceive yourselves. You can't take in Christ and boot out Christ in your neighbor. It doesn't work that way. Sermon point number four, Christ's diligent servants, then, here's good news. It's not all all a harangue here, you know. A Christian can rightly look forward to the judgment day. You have every reason to be welcoming the Lord. In fact, it's called the day of the Lord. And, and, and this is Sunday, we call the Lord's Day. It's the same thing. If you're enjoying the Lord's Day and its ordinances, the fellowship and the worship, that's a good, that's a good testimony that, you know, you're on your way. You, you are enjoying the, pre, the preamble of the Lord's Day and every typical Lord's Day. But Christ's diligent servants will receive a rich reward and even the guys that, that has five and, and two talents, they're going to be given the talents of the, of the failures. I, mean, I don't know what the accounting is going to look like, but I mean, that, it doesn't seem fair. And of course, it's not fair. It's not according to, to justice as far as we're going. It's according to justice as we have it in Christ. And Christ has infinite justice. It's not according to our works. We're debtors to God, even having done all of his commandments. We've only done his will. We don't really merit anything by way of works. But he's gracious to include us in some measure of reward just because he's a great and noble king, a majestic friend who knows you. He's been your friend all of your days. He is the one who has equipped you and groomed you for his kingdom from before your mother's conception in the sovereign will and predestined plan of God. According to the most gracious judgment, you cannot conceive 
how good he will treat you. Just to say, well done, you will melt. Because you will know in those words and hear his love. And when he says, good and faithful servant, you, can, you will hardly believe it. Of course, you'll be joyful and say, look, 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 you give me five, here's five more. <laughs> He's a joyful servant even to the, to the very last. He's approaching the bar of the almighty God and he's saying, look, he's happy because he's got a good conscience and he's got all the assurance he needs. And that's a gift of God as well, a talent. Good and faithful servant. And his reward is, well, now, now you enter into the joy of your Lord. It's said so easily in scripture. I love the way you know, God, I'm sure he's not Cuban because he's, not, he's never hyperbolic. He's always undermeasured. He undermeasures everything. Here he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. That's the most understated thing I've ever read in my life. That includes a vast, vast inheritance. The joy of Christ is all things. Christ inherits all things from the Father. And then he wraps it all up and gives it back to the Father in a nice package of bow, and here you go, Lord. Father, I've done this for you, and here are all my children and offspring, and they're all yours, and God will be all in all. That's how the wrap-up will be at the end of, well, the final end of everything. God remembers our work in the Lord. Nothing, no, nothing you do in the name of the Lord is in vain. I'm washing the dishes. I am tired. My wife needs to go to sleep. I am doing this in Christian love. God help me. God bless this work. I'm doing it for your glory. That has a reward. I asked a deacon for a cup of water. I'm dying up here, probably under underwater, dehydrated. He gives me a cup of water. Scripture says you give a prophet a cup of water in the name of the Lord, you get a prophet's reward. What in the world? What, 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 kind, of a, what, what, what kind of a work plan is that? How, how does that work in corporate America? It doesn't. We've not seen anything like the gracious reward of our Father. And we need to think and meditate about this. We need to, we need to get, let our hearts camp here and be enraptured with the goodness of God toward us in this life already, but the overwhelming goodness that God will present to us at His coming. And then we will not be so miserable. We won't be miserable. We won't. We'll be thankful. And that's the mark of a Christian. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it in the name of God. God delights in his servants. He delights to give you talents. He delights that you in his image can synthesize and reorder and according to some creativity, come up with something more. I mean, it sounds like precious capitalism or something to me. That is wild. Point five, Christ's lazy and fearful servants will be condemned. And these will be led away to hell at judgment. Now this judgment is most just. The pronouncement is that you are wicked, you are slothful, you are lazy, you are unprofitable in the economy of the kingdom. You didn't, you didn't advance the kingdom one whit. Or as one of my professors at seminary said, you encumbered the earth. You used up the earth's resources, water, oxygen, real estate. Your money purchased things that made 
the purchase price of other commodities more expensive. All you did was add inflation in the macroeconomics of the world. You used up everything for what? Because your kingdom was never yours anyway. You were serving a kingdom from below, and that kingdom was doomed. His name is Satan, and you're wearing his crown and badge. Selfish, viper, lying serpent, taking, taking church vows and breaking them as easily as you can chew through bubble gum and hard candy. You're, just, you're a covenant breaker. Unprofitable. Serve God nilly-willy whenever it's convenient. But you know what? The, the, the conscience, as I said before, the conscience of the, of the wicked servant will condemn them. He said, well, I knew you to be a hard man. And, uh, I think the, the King James Version said, I knew you to be a hard taskmaster. That's the mark of a person who doesn't know God, never knew, never knew Jesus. I, can, you read, can you read the Gospels and, and, and come up with, with this deduction of the Lord Jesus that he's a hard man? Well, I mean, that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees said because his preaching was close and tight and sure. But the disciples and the meek and the humble and, and those that were willing to learn, was he a hard man? So, so Jesus will reply to them, well, so you knew I was a hard man. Huh? You knew that I was a hard, you knew that. There's no excuse. All know enough to seek and to serve God. The gospel record and Matthew is clear. This is the suffering servant. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. No meeker man, not even Moses. Moses failed. Jesus triumphs in, in, in righteousness and justice and, and all. The wicked then know. And the wicked know their own guilt now. But that's why they don't come to the Savior. We, we, we all know our guilt, but the only reason that some come to the Savior is that they believe the gospel. Look, let me put it in this way. No man will go to a hangman's noose and willingly stick his head and neck through there unless he knows that he's going to be exempt from the hanging. But a Christian will come to the noose of God's law and say, I've broken every single command and I'm desperately wicked and my heart knows it and I'll confess it. And I'll stick my head in there and I'll you say, Lord, if you are worthy to condemn me, but you promise not to, because you've got a substitute for me in Christ. You sent your lamb, and the lamb has placed his head and his neck in that noose, and he died for you as your substitute. The wicked don't, they know their guilt now, but they won't come because they don't have the gospel. They don't believe the gospel. Some have never heard the gospel. That's why we need to evangelize. The, the wicked are not doing what they can already to glorify God. The capital sin of the wicked, according to Paul in Romans 1, is they are thankless. How many times a day do you pause to thank God? What does it cost you to be thankful? If someone helps you in the grocery store, what does it cost you to say thank What does it cost you to be kind to somebody? And how many times do you think that the Lord has thoughts of you day by day. They're, his thoughts of you are immeasurable. They're, his equipping you, his sustaining you moment by moment. And so the, that's why the scripture says give thanks in all things. Because moment by moment he's still giving you more and more. 
The wicked are not doing what they can to glorify God. They're doing everything to suppress the knowledge of God in unrighteousness. And they choose not to. And they will confess that when God gives them the, the truth serum and it outs out of their own mouth. The damned will then own their own fault. They will serve as their own accusers. And they will know that God is not to blame. They will know that they have destroyed themselves. Let me conclude the sermon. All that you have is from God is to be used by you as his steward for his glory. Those who serve God diligently will be acquitted. They'll be rewarded on Judgment Day. And those who do not serve God are self-indulgent, self-seeking. They're lazy. They will be eternally condemned. These will be punished on Judgment Day. Now, my friends, let me, take, let me give you comfort in this. If you, you have the Holy Spirit if you've believed the gospel. And that's the greatest gift. You can ask for all sorts of things in prayer. But if you have the Holy, Holy Spirit, if you've asked for the, His infilling and the grace of, of the Lord's Jesus in the Spirit, you have all the resources. And in, in His Word, you have everything for a sure standing before the Lord. You will stand before the righteous judgment of God and be acknowledged by name. You will be acquitted and you will be rewarded. And the seal of that is not baptism. The seal of that is the Holy Spirit, which is the actual, the actual uh, earnest of your salvation. You can rejoice in as much as you know that you see the fruitfulness of that Holy Spirit in your life. So you should think often of God's judgment day. Learn that with sin is the, is the, the worst evil that can ever happen. Sin in the church is the greatest shame not losing members, not losing money. If you will not correct somebody because you think they'll leave, but that person is in true sin, you, you have your duty. It's not the pastors, it's not the elders. Everyone here should be encouraging one another and also admonishing one another. And that, my friends, is our Christian fellowship. That, if you love fellowship, love that. That's fellowship. It's very inclusive. Learn to practice then that fellowship in the body of Christ. Any Christian that's professing knowledge or faith in Christ without practicing stewardship for God's glory is, is very much deceived. And he's just, he's just heading the wrong way. He needs to repent. He needs to turn around and start living all and not holding back one nickel. John Gerster once said, anyone that holds back one nickel from God, and I'm not talking about tithing. I'm talking about the heart's assent that this this plot, this thing is mine and not God's. I will not relinquish it. That's idolatry. And that's a damnable sin. Good works confirm a professing Christian better than much talk. Teachers, beware. Everybody wants to be a teacher. They receive the greater judgment in this life and in the next. Faith, repentance, new obedience. Just pay attention to that. Look for moral, uh, uh, seek virtue and moral excellence before any sort of academic gifts or knowledge. Add to your faith virtue first and then virtue knowledge. That's the sure way of commencing in the Christian life. Our friends, we have deacons here. This morning we, we have several guests and they, they are needing uh, help. They are examples to us. And those who serve Christ well as deacons 
uh, get for themselves a very, very good standing in the Lord. And that good standing is, is, is hinting as to this last day of judgment. If you want a, a firm conscience and good, good assurance, love, mercy, do justice, walk humbly with your Lord. And the deacons are a good example for that. My friends, we have passed from death unto life. This last judgment is no threat to people that are alive in Christ. We've already died with Christ. If, if you're a Christian and you believe in Christ, you have union with Christ in his death, and you have already experienced the first death. And you've already experienced in his, by his resurrection a new life, and so you're already in spirit, in union with Christ, who is reigning at right, God's right hand. And so you know something of the heavenly powers. You know something of the taste of heaven. You have an earnest of the world to come. If you know what I'm talking about, that's what you are, Christian. But if not, then please see me or one of the elders will explain that Christianity, the faith of a Christian, may be known experientially, by experience, and heaven can be tasted now. There's a foretaste of heaven not the completeness, not the full inheritance, not the, the, the full joy of the inheritance of the saints, but at least an appetizer. You have to have that now. And if you don't, let's talk. I'm your pastor. I'm not your blog space. My friends, if you're exercising godly dominion over your body, in your family, in your possessions, in the purview of your authority at work, maybe in the classroom, or in your neighborhood. If you are exercising a godly dominion, these are little things that God has given you. They're not playthings, they're important. He's given you all these things, the skills, the knowledge for you to have godly dominion. That's what man was made for in God's image, that he be, as it were, a viceroy, that is to say, a vice king, under God the king, an under king. That's what we are by creation, by good, by good intent. We reclaim that crown in Christ. If you're exercising godly dominion now, know for sure that in heaven you will be given more. That you will exercise a greater dominion and a better dominion with more wisdom and more knowledge and more righteousness. You will govern well. Elders, that you who are governing now, we're always up against the wall. We're wondering, what, you know, lack wisdom. What do we do? I don't know. Let's pray. I, we lack resources. We lack a lot of things. But what we have, we have from God. And we need to utilize them and show dominion because elders rule. That's why we are Presbyterians. Elders rule, not pastors. Ministers, I, I don't rule. Why do people blame me? Elders rule. Exercise good dominion now. You will exercise great dominion then. Don't exercise godly dominion now, and even what you have, you will lose. Now, my friends, the gospel gives you all that you might live your life quorum Deo, before God, before the face of God, in the presence of God. All that you have is from God, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit by faith also will help you in every way. The graces are what allow you to really live unto God as a God-loving, God-serving, Christian-glorifying, and Christ-glorifying servant. So ask for the grace of a servant's heart. Ask him, Lord, what are my talents? How may I use them to your glory? Give me the faith that I may do so. And give me faith 
to expect your day as one where you will receive great glory as the judge of all mankind, knowing the hearts of all men, and firmly and finally establishing your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And it's built on righteousness and justice. Now that's something to look forward to, my friends. And it's here for you by faith. Ask the Lord to save you from the dominion of a kingdom that is falling like so many dominoes and will be ruined. The kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of Satan and bondage. Ask him to be to deliver you and to bring you into his kingdom of grace, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you his Holy Spirit and that anointing and to fit you as an able servant and all the talents that he wants to bestow on you and more. And it's free. Seek the Lord by faith, believe in him, and he is faithful to do it. Let's pray. Lord, we have pressed this point because it's such a joy that you take interest in our lives. You know our, our rising up and our, our sitting down or lying down. Before there's a word in our mouth, Lord, you know it. And we pray, Lord, that as you have given us all these things, we might acknowledge you as the sovereign Lord and the helper of those who call upon your name. We call upon your name in Christ, the only mediator, the only help we have and access to you. And we pray that for his glorious namesake that you would build your kingdom, that you would bring people into this church, the visible church of your kingdom. And that, Lord, we would not only make good on our baptisms, but, Lord, that we would fight valiantly, war against the flesh, war against the world, war against Satan, that you would subdue that nasty kingdom, that miserable blackness, that we might be, Lord, your servants in your kingdom of light, kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of Christ. Grant us great wisdom. Help us not to fall into the net of the foolish, lazy, self-indulgent virgins, but help us to glory in the victor Christ, even now. Bless this reading, bless the sermon, and we, Lord, look to you for all help. In Jesus we pray, amen. We'll have to take an offering, please.